Those of you who are of age, you can go back, ages two years old to grade five, you can go back to the lobby and your teachers will meet you there. Excited to, uh, to re-engage children's ministry. Thank you, volunteers, for all that you do. Well, I am going to pray. We are looking at hopeful holiness. We're going to continue in our series on 1 Peter. As we're talking about hope in a pandemic, we're going to be looking today at hopeful holiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for our children and for our volunteers. God, I pray that you'll bless them this morning as they learn more about you. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us here in this room and those of us online. I pray that you'll fall fresh, that we will hear your voice from the Word of God, your Word, the living, active, breathing Word of God that brings conviction, that convinces us of the truth of who you are and shows us how we are to live the gospel lifestyle. I pray that this won't be a time where we learn something new, but may we become someone new. May the Word of God be so transformative in our lives that we walk out differently. I pray that those of us who are listening in person or online will be changed today, myself included, as this is a word for each and every one of us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, when you got engaged, if you're married, or you might be engaged right now, you know that there's an excitement of preparation. Now, there's, there's crazy preparation. There's all kinds of things that you have to get. You have to get the venue. You have to get the preacher. You have to get the flowers. You have to get all these different things that come together for a wedding. Now, it, it can be so stressful that some people choose just, let's go to the justice of the peace. We don't want to deal with that whole wedding. But the majority of people go through their engagement preparing for the wedding. It's an exciting time where they're looking forward to what's going to happen. Their whole focus is on the future. Their whole focus is on one beautiful day. Their entire engagement, engagement is looking towards that day and preparing for that day. Warren Wearsby reminds us Christians live in the future tense. Their present actions and decisions are governed by this future hope. Just as an engaged couple makes all their plans in light of that future wedding, so Christians today live with the expectation of seeing Jesus Christ. Now, I remember when I was engaged, my, uh, even before I was engaged, rather, my stepmom and my mom were already planning and preparing for a wedding. They had already picked out the space that they thought we should use for our reception. Right? There was so much excitement and anticipation. And that's what, what we're to do as we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, to live with this desire to prepare for Christ's return. Because He will return. Amen? He will return. Sadly, one of the things that I've not heard often in American or Western Christianity is an emphasis on the return of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter, he doesn't stop talking about the return of Jesus. He continues to talk about our hope being in the return of Jesus, our hope being in this beautiful time of full restoration when Jesus comes and we can get gathered up with him in the clouds. But many times you and I can easily forget the future hope. So many things can bog us down here and now. 
the present in our circumstances, the hopelessness that seems to be around us, all of the joylessness and, and all the terrible news that we consistently get inundated with can cause us to forget about our future hope, can bog us down from living in that joyful living. It can hinder us from living hopeful holiness. One of the things we're going to see today is that our hope guides and leads us into holiness. Peter talks very specifically that you and I are to walk in hopeful holiness. That's not wishful thinking like, I hope I'm holy one day. No, it's a holiness that is filled with hope. So if that's what Peter is challenging the early church and by, by way of you know, looking at it for us as well, the question that we'll ask is how can we walk in hopeful holiness? How can we walk in hopeful holiness? That is the question that we'll seek to answer. And I believe that 1 Peter 1, 13-19 answers that question. The word of the Lord, 1 Peter 1, 13-19. We'll look at the scriptures. You can read it on the screen or you can open up your scriptures yourself. 1 Peter 1, 13-19. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were transformed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Wow. Remember, Peter is talking to a persecuted church. Peter is talking to a people who just by saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, by living that out, being baptized in public, just for that witness, they're being murdered. They're being slaughtered. A church that is living under intense persecution that you and I could never fathom. But the beautiful thing is before he calls them to holy conduct, before Peter challenges them to be holy, before he challenges them to allow the hope that they have to fill them with holiness, he reminded them, if you'll remember last week, of the joy in suffering that is theirs, of the hope that they can have in the future coming of Jesus Christ. And here he's saying that this hope should move us forward into holiness. Whenever you're reading the scriptures and you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? It's a good question to ask in Bible study. And here what his therefore means is, therefore, since we can have joy, since we can have hope, now we can live in holiness. He begins to have the conversation about living in holiness. In fact, one commentator says this, Peter does not begin to exhort Christian pilgrims until he has celebrated the wonder of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. We must celebrate the wonder of our salvation before we can be exhorted into holiness. That is where we need to begin. I believe that this morning we're going to see from this small portion of Scripture. Now let me tell you, I wanted to do a bigger chunk of Scripture, but when you dig into the Word of God, when you look at the, the, the Greco-Roman world that he was talking to, there are illustrations that they would understand that you and I would not capture. 
And in this short amount of scripture, he's giving them five areas of focus that they need to add to their lives in order to live a hopeful holiness. And the very first area of focus that Peter gives the church, that's you and I and the church before, is that of preparation. A focus of preparation. Because holiness begins with proper preparation of our minds. Holiness begins with proper preparation of our minds. He's reminding them, therefore, since you can have that joy, since you can live in hope, you can now live in holiness. But first, you need to prepare your minds. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, especially for the Jewish men and women, they would understand this word preparing is actually what he's saying in, in the Greek is gird the loins of your mind. Now, you and I, we'd read that and be like, what does that even mean? Well, translated, it does mean preparing. It does mean to prepare. But there's a visual that he gives to the, the men and women in the Greco-Roman world that you and I don't see. When he says, gird the loins of your mind, he's saying, listen, in, 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 the Roman, in that world, the Jews would wear long robes. The men would wear long robes. And in order to gird the loins of, the, of their minds to get prepared to move forward, they would have to roll up their robes and tuck it in their belt. Have you ever tried to run in a dress? I haven't. But I'm sure it's not fun or easy, especially a dress that when you walk like this, you trip over it because it's so, you know, it's not as wide as it should be. These are the robes of the Jewish men. If they tried to run with their robes on, it would hinder them from moving fast. So they had to roll up their robes and tuck it in their belt so that they could move, so that they could be ready, so that they could be prepared. And here's what he's saying to the church and to us. Peter is saying that we need to roll up the robes of our lives, tuck it into our belt so that we can move. We need to be prepared for action. We need to be prepped and ready to move. And what he's saying in this specific passage is two different things. Obviously, he's talking about preparation for action, as he says. But there's also a preparation of our minds to blockade the lies of the enemy. To be prepared to recognize that the enemy is going to come after us. Just because joy and hope are available to believers and we can be certain because he says very specifically and the Bible says in other places that we can be certain of our future hope. That we can be certain of the hope that we walk in because we can be certain in faith. That doesn't mean that the enemy is not going to try and attack us. Just because we can be certain doesn't mean that the enemy is not going to try and trick us into being uncertain. You and I can be conformed to our previous ways of thinking. And he's saying to the church, you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. You need to have yourself ready for the attacks of the enemy because they will come. He will seek to lie to you. He will seek to destroy your hope. He will seek to destroy your joy. And we can see that happen in our lives, haven't we? When we focus too much on all the things around us, we can miss the fact that we have a certain hope. We allow the enemy to win because he's winning the battle of our minds. We are not prepared. Job says the Christian hope is a reality to be recognized and acted upon. It's not just something that we give mental assent to. Yes, I can have certain hope. Yes, I know in my mind that hope is available. It's living out that hope. There's action that moves with that hope, and part of that is preparing our mind, girding the loins of our mind, preparing ourselves for battle. Now, 
A lot of the translations that you'll read, NIV, King James Version, and others, the NASB, I believe, also uses that word for girding up the loins of, of, your, of your mind. They use just the word prepare. They say just prepare. But I believe that there's the, the, when you look at the ESV, he uses the word preparing. Now, it's the same word, it's the same mind, there's not wrong translation, right translation, but there's an attitude change that happens from prepare to preparing. And what I mean by that is that when we are preparing, it's a constant perpetual preparation. It's not just one and done. We're, up. Oh, I've prepared, I'm ready for this thing, I'm done, I don't have to prepare anymore, I, I've got it. Well, the enemy changes his tactics, doesn't he? He tries to come at us from different angles. So we need to be constantly preparing. It's like you prepare for a trip. Say all of a sudden you are going to prepare uh, lunch for a a trip that you're going to have tomorrow. Now, you accidentally leave, you prepped it, you made it, but you leave it out on the counter, and all of a sudden you're late. Your whole family's late. It takes you know, an extra 12 hours to actually get out of the house, because this happens, by the way. And all of a sudden, when you go to eat your lunch, it tastes disgusting. You're like, oh, the bread is stale, the meat is, the, the mustard just soaked through, and my fingers are getting all sticky. Ugh. But you prepared, didn't you? Right, you made the sandwich. There was preparation that you did, but you need to constantly preparing, be preparing. Check on that which you've prepared. Is my mind really ready to go? There's a constant question, is my mind ready? Because listen, my friends, the enemy will seek to attack your hope. He will always be seeking to destroy you. When you and I are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we are preparing our minds for battle, He's going to come. Why do we have to wear the armor of God? Because there's a war. We have to be prepared. We have to gird the loins of our minds. Another commentator named Cedar says, Holiness begins with the proper preparation of our minds. We are to take the initiative in preparing our minds for the life of holiness. It's active, which then brings us to the second area of focus, and that is the focus of action. Proper preparation leads to decisive action. Not only is our preparation a preparation of defense, where we fill our minds with the truth of the Word of God, where we're prepared for the attacks of the enemy, but it's also an offensive, because we're going into action. Which means we're not just preparing for a battle to come to us. We're preparing ourselves to go to the battle. To bring it to the land of the enemy. Because we are called to take back the land that the enemy has stolen. We are called to go into the world, fight the enemy's lies, and be used by God to bring people to salvation. That we are to be evangelists. Whether that's our gift or not, we are called to be evangelists. And, and much of what this is talking about is living hope. Action is living the hope that we have. It's not just telling people, hey, there's a hope out there. And then living completely different. And being bogged down with the worries and the anxiety and the, the chaos of the world. It's living a hope. It's proving the fact that God is giving us a hope. The way we live our lives in our faith proves the reality of God's hope. Just like the early church, it proves so deeply. We looked at last week, the persecuted church grows faster because of persecution, because it's proving the hope that we have. When it's tested, it's approved. It's proving the hope that we have. Another commentator says, a part of the preparation for holy living is to live the life of hope. So many Christians fail at this point. 
Many of us tend to be negative and pessimistic and judgmental and even fatalistic. Where we become fatalistic, we become negative. Everything that we write is about what we are against rather than what we're for. Everything we talk about is the badness of all the stuff around us rather than saying, here's who Jesus is. We don't need to talk about all the bad stuff. We need to talk about Jesus. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the one to be glorified. And when we talk about all the bad stuff and all the wrong stuff and all the things that we're against, people are like, wow, you guys, wow, you're boring and hateful. Whoa, you guys are really negative. I thought the gospel was good news. That's how it's translated from the Greek to the English. Gospel means good news. If all we talk about is bad news, we're not talking about the gospel. We need to be talking about Jesus. We cannot give in to hopelessness. Because we have been given hope, we are called to live in it. We are called to live in it. And this action proves our faith. It builds our faith, this living in hope, the return of Jesus. He is coming. When we live in that, it builds and grows our faith because we see that God is faithful. And we can know and be certain that no matter what, no matter what's going on right now, God wins. The enemy loses. Whether it's when I die and get raised to life again with him, or while I'm still alive, when the king comes, he wins. That's it. It's like chess. The king wins. That's it. The king is the one who wins. Warren Wiersbe reminds us, outlook determines outcome. Attitude determines action. A Christian who is looking for the glory of God has a greater motivation for present obedience than a Christian who ignores the Lord's return. When we ignore the Lord's return, we are not looking in hope. We get distracted by what's going on around us. Attitude determines action. That's an important capturing of remembrance for us. Attitude determines action. Three very important words in one little small sentence. How's your attitude? Because if your attitude is negative, if your attitude and my attitude is fatalistic, if our attitude is off and not focusing on who God is and what He's up to and how He's going to win... Our attitude is going to determine how we act. If we are negative or fatalistic, we will act that way. We will act that way. And that's not living in hope. That's walking in hopelessness. And we're called to live and walk in hopeful holiness. The third area of focus is that of sobriety. A prepared mind is a sober mind. Listen to what he says again. In verse 13, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We do not have to be conformed to those passions. We can live sober-minded. When we are preparing our minds for the attack of the enemy, preparing to push back the lies with truth, when we are preparing for action to take back the land of the enemy, we will begin to be sober-minded. We will begin to see things clearly. What he's giving is an inference of drunkenness. He's saying, listen, when we're not walking in action, when we're not preparing our mind, things get a little bit cloudy. Things get a little bit messed up. You start walking and tripping over yourselves because you're drunk 
on all the things of the world. You are intoxicated by the wrong things. And this we can see in Ephesians. Paul talks about this as well. Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the same type of aspect. He's saying, listen, don't be clouded by all these things that are going on. Have a sober mind. Now, in the windshield of your life, as you're driving, you can have a really cloudy or really clear windshield. And the cloudy windshield determines how slow you drive or how fast you drive. When you see things clearly, you're a better driver, I hope, (laughs) if your glasses are on. (laughs) Right? We want to be able to see things clearly. I remember driving on 376. I was going from uh, the north side to Oakland, where the University of Pittsburgh is. And I... I don't know what happened, but somehow the, the latch on my hood was, was not latched fully. And as I'm driving on 376, my hood flies up in front of my windshield, shatters the windshield, and luckily, praise the Lord, I was able to pull off on a pull-off place that I didn't know was there, but I was like, okay, I'm pulling off. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't die. And I was able to close the hood and actually latch it. And even though my windshield was a little bit shattered, I still drove and went in to do what I needed to do. But the reality is I had to stop. I couldn't keep driving because I did, couldn't see. And when we're not sober-minded, we cannot clearly see. And we cannot clearly live in hopeful holiness. And when he says be sober-minded, be clear-minded, he's saying don't go back to the sinful parts of your life. Don't go back to the sinful patterns in which with you once walked. Don't go back to the teaching of your forefathers. Remember, a lot of the early church came out of pagan history. They came out of pagan religions. And he's saying, listen, when the enemy comes, when the enemy attacks, when the enemy lies and your mind is not prepared and you're not acting, he is going to try and draw you back to the past of your sins. He's going to try and draw you back to your coping mechanisms. He's going to try and utilize your past against you and draw you back into that. But don't fall for his tricks. Be sober-minded. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not go back into the drunkenness and the cloudiness of your past life. They would be tempted to go back to those sin patterns. And you know what? The same is true for us. Maybe you found yourself in the midst of this pandemic going back to sinful patterns you had in your life where you might have conquered some of them in your life before the pandemic and all of a sudden you find yourself slipping back. It's because the enemy is bringing you back and you are going willingly back to those sinful patterns, back to those coping mechanisms that he wants to draw you out of. And Peter is warning us in the midst of hard times, the enemy will try to bring you back to your former ignorance. And we are to guard against it, to be sober-minded, to walk in the truth of the gospel. Cedar reminds us that the word translated as sober is often rendered as a self-controlled or steady person. Our minds need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit and not under intoxication of any kind. We are truly self-controlled when we are God-controlled. We are truly self-controlled when we are God-controlled. A fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to give us the God-controlled life because anytime you and I try to do it on our own, we will go back to our former ignorance. We will go back to the things that we felt brought us health and hope, but those things are always hopeless. Those sin patterns will never bring about the hope or the holiness that we are called to. And so we must surrender to 
the Lord. We must allow Him to give us the control that we need. And here's the truth that Peter is trying to remind the church. That the enemy will always attack your mind first. He will always go to implant false identities about who you are, about who God is. He will always try to use your past against you and say, well, you know, it really wasn't that bad. God was still blessing you when you were living in this former area of ignorance. Those times when you did come to Christ, but you still slipped into it, it, was, it wasn't that big of a deal. And he's going to put it in our minds. That's where it begins. And we need to pay attention to our thoughts. We cannot ignore our thoughts because our thoughts also lead to our action. We will act upon that which we dwell upon. And when the enemy brings that quick little blip in our mind, that is as what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are to hold true and capture that and give it to Christ. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You want to obey Christ? Take your thoughts captive. You don't want to fall into the former patterns of your sin, sinful life. You don't want to go back to your former ignorance. Hand over your thoughts. Give, take them captive and hand them to the Lord. At the very beginning, at the very genesis, because the longer we dwell upon those thoughts that the, the enemy is trying to implant into our lives, the more we are apt to go and do that thing. So at the very genesis of a thought that you know is from the enemy and not from the Lord. Take it captive, hand it over to the Lord so that you can walk in obedience. I love what Job says. Self-control of the mind facilitates prayer and an awareness of the devil's ways. Do you want to be aware of the enemy's attacks? I know I do, right? Do you want to be aware of the enemy's attacks? I know I do. Because I, if I know what's coming, I can set up a perimeter around it. If I know what's coming, I can develop a really good battle plan. If I know what's going to happen, how the enemy is going to attack, then I can push back against it. I can ensure that he doesn't win the battle for my mind. And when we are in prayer, we know the ways of the Lord. When we are spending time in prayer, we know how to be living sacrifices. My friends, in my personal devotional life, I've not been able to get out of Romans 12 for about a month. Consistently, I'm going to Romans 12, where it says to be a living sacrifice, to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Consistently, the, the, the Lord is bringing me back to this and using it against the enemy. And if you read on Romans 12, it talks about how we're to love one another. I believe Romans 12 is a prophetic word for right now. If you've not spent time in Romans 12, go to Romans 12 and read it. I believe it is very relevant for us now, that we are to be living sacrifices, that we are to, what I love this phrase, outdo one another by honoring each other. Which means the only competition in the church is how much I can honor you. That's the only competition we're called to. How can I lift up Jim? I'm going to beat him. I'm going to be better at honoring Jim than he is honoring me. Like That's, that's the beauty of what we're called to, but it's hard because we want to be honored. We're like, yeah, you can go ahead and honor me. Beat me because I like being honored. <laughs> but no, Romans 12 calls us to honor one another. 
that we're to outdo one another by honoring one another, to love one another. Go read Romans 12. Maybe you won't be able to get out of it either. And that leads me to the fourth area of focus that Peter is calling us to, and that is the focus of obedience. Obedience follows the fully focused mind on God's grace. Obedience follows the fully focused mind on God's grace. Peter, before he discusses obedience, reminds the church of God's grace. Look at what he says. He says, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. It's a following focus. He's saying, listen, you want to have a prepared mind? You want to be ready for action? You want to have a sober mind? You want to walk in obedience? You have to focus on the grace of God. You have to focus on the grace of God. You and I do not deserve salvation. We just don't. And too often in the Western church, we focus on our own rights, what we deserve. Our entitlement just outweighs our empowerment. Because our entitlement is so rich and so thick that we're not allowing the the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what he's called us to do because we're like, no, I deserve something better. But here he's saying, listen, church, you don't deserve anything. It's only by the grace of God that we can move forward. It's only by the grace of God that his breath is in our lungs. It's only by the grace of God that your feet hit the ground today. It's only by the grace of God that you're watching online or here in person. Every aspect of your life is only because of the grace of God. He's reminding them of the beauty of the grace of God. Peter says, focus fully on, and the word fully on is the word teleos, And it means completely. So what he's saying right here is set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ is revealed, when Christ returns and he graciously brings you into the winning battle. Focus on that. Focus fully on what God has done, will do, and is already doing. The grace that you have, focus completely on that. It's like an image of a horse who has the peripheral blocked and all he can see is what's ahead of him so he doesn't get skittish and run or do the things that he's not supposed to do. I'm not an equestrian person, but I know that much about horses. That they need to focus fully on where they're going, that they need to be on target, completely focused. And that is the image that you and I are to have. If we are to prepare our minds to block off the enemy's lies, when the enemy says you're not worth it, you could say, but by the grace of God go I. I might not be worth it because of my sin, but he says I'm worth it because of his grace. When the enemy says, you know what? This whole fight, this whole battle is worthless. When we look at the revelation of Christ coming and the grace that he will give to us on that last day, we can say, you know what? It is worth it. and We win. Enemy, you're a loser. It's the only time you could call anyone a loser. <laughs> it's because the enemy is a loser. He will always lose in the end. And anytime we set our mind like a flint to the grace of God, the enemy loses. He has no power over the grace of God. And so we must be completely focused on the grace of God. That brings about obedience. Obedience is at the very foundation of Christian lifestyle. 
We are called to obedience. But you can't obey if your mind is not prepared, if you're not living in action, if you're not walking with clarity and sober-mindedness, and if you're not walking in that, that beauty of the grace of God, you cannot obey. But you and I can walk in obedience. And it might not sound like it, but obedience is fun. Obedience is life-giving. Tell a kid that, hey, obedience is fun. Yeah, right. My kids would say that anyways. But obedience is the way in which we are to live. It is how we were created to walk in obedience with Him. And when we do, we will see the blessings and the true reality of who God is and who He has made us. When we are walking in power of the Holy Spirit in obedience with the fruit of self-control, and the enemy loses ground, that is when we are used the most. The fifth area of focus is that of holiness. The holiness of the Lord informs and empowers our holiness. The holiness of the Lord informs and empowers our holiness. Peter is declaring to the church, be holy because he is holy. Walk in holiness because God is holy. When we are preparing our minds and we are moving in action and we are walking in sober-mindedness and we are living in obedience, we can and will be holy. But remember, it's not because of you, it's because of the grace of God. Why can you be holy? Why can you live in holiness that He has set aside for you? Because of His grace. He gives you the capacity, the capability, the power to live the life of obedience and holiness. And that is what we're called to. That is a high calling. Now, it's not like you walk around and be like, hey, I'm holy. Oh, yeah. No, because that's, that's not holy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's prideful. But we're, our, our lives should live and speak for themselves. And when we're living hope-filled, when we're living hopeful, that will lead to holiness. Why? Because we know that the holiness that we live in and that's what God has called us to, and the beauty of the future of His revelation. Because like we said last week, when we stand before the throne and He says, well done, my good and faithful servant, how beautiful that will be, how wonderful that will be, how powerful that will be in our lives. We are to walk in holiness. One commentator says, Peter has encouraged us, encouraged us to holy living by pointing to the Lord. Christ's coming spurs us on. The holiness of God gives us His pattern and His demand. The judgment of our Father fills us with fear, but a fear that calls on His name. If we are to live holy, we must call upon the name of the Lord. We must look at the life of Jesus Christ as our blueprint on how to live a holy life. Jesus came in full humanity and full deity, to walk on this earth to show you and I what a Holy Spirit-empowered human does. He is our blueprint for how we are to live in holiness, including self-sacrifice and laying down our lives for one another. That is holiness. And holiness need, leads to love, as we'll see in the coming weeks. We are to allow the holiness of God to inform our holiness. How are we to live? Look to Jesus. We cannot think that, that Peter is saying that this is on our own, however. Where he says, you know what? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Go and be holy, my friends. Go and do it. 
Because, again, you and I cannot do it on our own. I'm reminded of, of an illustration of a garden. Now, I'm not a big gardener, but I understand two things about gardens. The, the one thing about gardens is if you let weeds grow, your garden will stink. You won't have a lot of really good fruit. You won't have good vegetables. They'll either die or they'll be really small. It'll be bad. So you need to weed out the weeds. You need to take them out, right? And then another thing I know, which I think you know, everyone in the world should know, is that you need to water plants, right? I'm not very smart, but I understand that you need to water plants, right? And the water goes into the soil and enriches the soil to enrich the plant, to give the plant a better life, to flourish that plant. But if the weeds are left there, it will choke out the life of the plants. But if there's no water, they will dry up, they will wither, and they will die. We have a garden in our souls where God has planted his life in us. We have to choose to weed and water the garden of our lives. We cannot even do that on our own because we might not even know what those weeds are. We might not know how dry we actually are. If you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you how dry is the garden of your soul, you might be surprised at how dry it is. You might look and be like, wow, I've been shriveling. My faith has been dying rather than growing. And so to be holy, we must do some weeding and watering in the garden of our souls. To be holy, we must do some weeding and watering in the garden of our souls. We must ask the Holy Spirit, what are the weeds that are choking out the life of God within me? What are the weeds that are hindering me from being holy? And they might be those sin patterns that you're pretending like you haven't fallen back into, fell back into. They might be the thought patterns that you have about your identity or who God is. Whatever the weeds are, they might even be toxic people that you've surrounded yourself around that are choking out the life of God within you. My friends, allow God to pull the weeds. Name them and ask Him to pull them out. Because your holiness will shrivel, your holiness will be choked out if you do not allow Him to deal with the weeds in the garden of your soul. But the truth is also reality of the watering of your soul. In Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit is, is called a fire. The Holy Spirit is called oil. The Holy Spirit is called a wind. And the Holy Spirit is called water. That we are to spend time with the living God. That we are to go before the throne of the Father. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. He is the one who waters our soul. But when we neglect that time of prayer, when we neglect that time of being at the throne, at the foot of the cross, when we are not doing that, we will become shriveled and dry. The soil of our lives will no longer be life-giving because it will not have the water of God in it. And so to be holy, we must do some weeding and watering in the garden of our souls. That which needs watering is the grace of God and the precious blood of Christ. God's grace, resting in His grace, allows us to grow to the throne, knowing that He is there for us, knowing that He loves us, that He desires to water the garden of our soul. And the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you and for me to have access to the living water, as Jesus says in John chapter 4. One commentator uses the imagery of a heart transplant. And he says, His, that's God's holiness, 
should increasingly replace our natural character of lust and evil appetites. A spiritual transformation needs to take place which displaces our character of sin by His character of holiness. He longs to donate a new heart to us just as certainly as a physical heart may be donated in transplant surgery. Point number 10 is His holiness should increasingly replace our natural character of lust and evil appetites. Are we allowing His holiness to inform us? Are we allowing His holiness to wash over us as we spend time with Him? Are we allowing Him to do a heart transplant? And it's a constant thing, saying, you know what? I've allowed the sin in my life to darken the light of Christ in my heart. I need you to do your work. I need you to cleanse it out. I need you to do the weeding. I need you to do the watering. But it comes with a place of confession and repentance. Repenting of the things that you have allowed to come in the garden of your soul and repenting from the fact that you've been ignoring God and then confessing those things and allowing Him to pull them out. That is how we live holy. And we're called to live holy because He is holy. And when the world sees our hope-filled holiness, man, that changes the game. We will look weird. Because even when we are persecuted, even when things are bad, and we can still say, I have a hope. I have hope in Him. And I'm going to live holy. I'm not going to allow this whole situation to cause me to go back into unhealthy habits. I'm actually going to be healthier in the midst of this. That speaks volumes to the world. The five areas of focus, preparation, action, sobriety, obedience, and holiness are vital for you and I to walk in hopeful holiness. So let us resolve together today to be transformed by God, no longer conform to the pattern of the world or the pattern of our past, but may we be transformed into holy, hope-filled believers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that we have the possibility to be holy. Only because of your grace can we go forward. Only because of your grace can you pull the weeds in the garden of our soul. Only because of your grace will you water the garden of our soul. Only because of your grace have you implanted a new heart within us. I pray that even during this time of frustration, anxiety, seeming hopelessness, seeming joylessness, that we will resolve to prepare our minds for action. That we will listen to your truth, the water that you have for us so that we can be hope-filled, hopeful, holy believers.